The deep Greek Baptist Church corner, brisk, Wednesday night. Uh, any uh, praises and prayer requests? Uh, I got a text message from from Terry. She said, "Pray for Hurricane James. We'll uh, find out. I think tomorrow uh, the date." Uh, Terry said that she's had a little uptaking, so I'm assuming that it's fresh to get to her. Keep them in your prayer. Uh, took Gary to the hospital for the doctor yesterday. He's fine. Um, so I went to the doctor today. I'm fine. So, uh, any other updates on anybody? Kathleen, took me a text. She's supposed to go back to work today. They don't have to do surgery on their animals. So that's good. Okay. Um, any other? Any other? Any other prayer? I'd like to give praise to this man this person. You went over to the first Baptist church at the um, Tulum Highway today and delivered, and I've never seen a clean box that they were packing. Yeah. And I mean, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And they were a great bunch of people. Does anyone ever pray for a box of you don't know who's going to get them and the uh and the share the gospel and then uh I was telling people today that uh, you we know, have ever since uh ever since I came back from Hot Earth, God thinks work. I mean not only did it work, he did work blatantly in our faith. I mean you it don't matter how distracted you are, you can't help but see him work. Uh, there's something going on. Uh, he is uh, moving us and uh, inspiring us. So, uh, yeah. Any other praise, prayer requests, announcements? I was listening to the radio on the way up here and the guy, you can tell he's from a foreign country. He now works for Samaritan Earth. And he had gotten a shoebox when he was younger. He says they're up to about 2 million boxes in there. Uh, you just like you never you never know you know uh, 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 that's our little thing that we're doing here tonight you know we don't know who's where I know that we we reach X number of states and we reach X number of countries but in those third world countries we you know we don't know how many people are sitting around in the lot uh, when we go to when we go to Honduras we see 
people just crammed up around the cell phone, you know. Uh, so um, we just we just be faithful and do what we do. Um, I got I got one announcement for the people here who think about between now and the eleventh. Christmas. They're booked, booked up here, and uh, they're going to create a Sunday night. The last, was, the last night. Well, that, they weren't even going to do a Sunday night, but they're going to do one this year. And there's already 200 signed up to go on that special night because they couldn't fill them up. Right. And uh, so we need to be thinking about, we got to be there. Well, they're saying be there. Five o'clock. I say be there at four thirty. At least by four thirty. Yeah, I mean, we'll be here by three thirty. I think Robert's gonna put it in the bulletin at three thirty. I put it on a column three too, but but it's gonna be in our bulletin. So it's gonna be in the bulletin. So uh, we need to get a, a fairly good hit count. Right. I think it's thinking about going. Up. Well, we're not
Lord, you take over this service. And that's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We uh we have about three, two, three verses, and we'll be we'll be finished with chapter five. We'll go right into chapter six. So we uh you know that we stopped off, you know, and so this little section uh, in verse uh, 31, uh, it's a spirit-led couple will become one in Christ. We're going to continue from where we talked about last, last Wednesday night. All right, so in verse 31, it says, uh, For this reason a man shall leave the father and the mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his or own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here we go. Christ calls couples to become, to become one flesh. The church is one flesh. And so he, he's using the analogy of marriage, of the marriage between a man and a woman, to Christ and his bride the church. So a husband is to leave the father and the mother. And uh, and this is explained to Adam in the garden in Genesis 2.24. Uh, you know, the man can leave his father and mother. Why is that? Why is that? Because mom had a big influence on son. Mom had a big influence on son. And mom whether they mean well or not, can cause issues with the son and the wife. Because they still think, which they are, that that's their son, but they still think they have authority over it, and it's not so. So, uh, to leave means to force, it, it means to forsake or leave behind. We're going to move out. You know, yes, Mom, I love you. I, I will honor you, but this is where I'm at. This is this is where I belong. I belong with my wife. We're one flesh. When you accept Christ and you become a Christian and you become part of the church, you have forsaken the world. You have forsaken the flesh. You have become one with Christ. In the flesh, in dwell, in thou. Uh, and so the husband is to be joined to his wife. To be joined together means to cleave or to be welded together. Remember I told you cleave was a metal urging term. And when you take two pieces of metal and you weld them together, you can't break them apart. The weld is stronger than the two pieces of steel. They're melted together. They're cleaved together. And so uh, Mark 10, 7 talks about that. A husband and a wife are to become one flesh. Uh, to become one flesh means to have you might want to come here a little bit there. Sexual relations uh, <laughs> as human. But it also means not only that, but you you become intimate. Not only intimate physically, but you become intimately spiritually with one another. Intimately, uh, you should be able to tell when they're upset. You should be able to tell when they're fat. You should be able to tell when they're sick. You should be able to tell when they're well. You should be able to tell their, what's going on with them. You should be able to notice the physical changes in their bodies or the not so physical changes in their bodies. You should be able to notice these things. 
because you're intimate with each other. You should know each other. You should learn to respect each other and to confide in each other. And it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Go ahead. To add to that and be able to read uh, each other in terms of the spiritual sense that you are having growth and fruit in the spirit that you're moving in the right direction. And we admonish one another, but in this case, we encourage each other. Uh, not just admonition, but you know, Paul just laid down these admonitions. Now he's going to, in the submissive thing, submit one another. We, we encourage each other through this submission. And, and especially through this last walk, he's talking about love, love one another. And uh, that comes from First Corinthians 15. You know, that, but it also, uh, this is why we're to flee all sexual morality and Christians. <laughs> if we're cleaving to our wives and our husbands, then there's no way we should have any interest in somebody else because everything that we need is being taken care of because we're treating that person as ourselves. Not only because we're one flesh. Do you think that I can purposely hurt myself? No. And if I won't purposely hurt myself, I can't purposely hurt her and buy her. And so we do this, and as long as you are doing, uh, becoming one flesh, sexual immorality should not enter the picture. Not only sexual immorality, but, but also uh, mental separation from the, from the wife of us. Where you start confiding in another individual rather than in your husband or rather than in your wife. And you separate from the family mentally, and uh, and it shows. So that's 1 Corinthians 6.18. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6 has got kind of loaded with a lot of stuff there. Uh, and so Christ says, a godly couple pictures in the church. A godly couple pictures the church. So when you have a husband and a wife that are honoring each other, that are treating each other as one flesh, that is a godly picture of the church. We're representing the church. Just like when we get baptized, it is a picture of what's happened to us. When we are married and we're going through life, that picture of that relationship, if it's working like it should, uh, and everybody in it is doing what they're supposed to do, is a godly picture of the church. Uh, the unity of a couple, it says, is a great mystery. A mystery reveals the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 7. A couple together reveals the mystery of God. Who designed the man and the woman? God. Whose image are we made in? God. So if there's a mystery, when we come together and join, we're not only coming together and being joined because we love each other, but for the, what? The advancement of the race, of humanity, for procreation. And that's why uh, it tells us that all this should happen in the bonds of marriage. The mystery is something not known which Christ reveals. In Ephesians 1 9, we read about that. You know, that the mysteries are being uncovered to those who believe, the household of the faithful, those who are followers of Christ. The unity of the church is also a great mystery. The unity began with Christ. And the Father in John 17, 4a. 
This unity is the desire of Christ for the church. Unity, that we ought to clap for that everywhere. Unity is the desire of Christ for the church. When you have churches that are dysfunctional, when you have churches that are split, that is not glorifying God. That is not being the glory of Christ. That is not being uh, the desire of Christ. And it's hard sometimes when things are going on in the church and you have people that have motives of their own rather than motives that are for the betterment of the kingdom and the betterment of the church. And those those fruits will eventually play out. You know, it's like we learned when we studied Corinthians. There's cancers in the church you need to cut them out. Because what happens? What happens if you put a bad apple in a barrel of apple? The whole barrel will go rock. What happens if you have one person who's casting stuff in the church? The whole church can get upset. The whole church can get upset over something that is nothing. But that one person sitting back and they're happy. What does he tell us? He said, there's going to be wolves among you. We have not recognized Unity is the priority of the church. With that said, um, there's healthy difference.
a profound mystery. And what I am talking about, Christ and the church, one level. They, Paul said it's all equal with Christ in the beginning of the chapter. He said it's all equal. Not, not complete. Christ is the head and we are the second level. We are the body. That would have thrown Rome completely into the ditch and he probably paid for it with his life. But the letter got out. The letter got out to us. But Rome doesn't see it this way. And this is what, six years? Before, well actually, at the end of the six years, 54 to 60-something, 68, I think it's 50 for a little longer than that, there's six years where he's in here where the fire of Rome occurs. Christians are barbecued over that. It probably wasn't their fault, but they were in the 70 A.D. happened. The temple and all the Jews were scattered. This is right in the cusp of the biggest World War III of their time. We don't see it that way because we don't follow the history. But this Paul is scared to death is the end of the time. This is, in their minds, Jesus is coming back. He sees it. He sees this as the end of everything. You know? And they're just launching the kingdom of God. They're just setting it out. They're just beginning to put it out there. And this is the mystery, the profound mystery. It may all end when Jesus comes back. But it didn't happen. No, you're good. You're good. You know, I, I, I said a mystery reveals the wisdom of God, and that's uh, the unity of a couple. A mystery is something not known which Christ revealed, and we're still talking about uh, the unity of the couple. The mystery is the church. The mystery is the church, is the eternal bride of Christ. And, and that's represented in the couple. Is that comes from Revelation 21, uh, 2 and 21, 9. Um, the unity of the church is a great mystery. And we're talking about the unity began with Christ and the Father, and the unity is the desire of Christ for the church. And a mystery is something which is now revealed by the Spirit to the believer. So, you know, when you first join the church, you don't have a clue about what's going on. And, and it takes a long time before you can learn all the nuances and the, and the language and, and the uh, uh, or nomenclature of the church, for lack of a better term, uh, we have a language that we use. And once, you, once you've been around a while and hung around, you, you pick up what that means. And, and so there's terms and things used that the people that are new to Christ don't understand. Uh, even though they've been studying and reading, it, 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 it hasn't been revealed to them yet. And so these mysteries are what we're talking about. And these things come by the Spirit. Uh, in Ephesians 3, 3 and 5, which he explains, chapter 3, explains all this stuff that we're talking about right now at the end of, uh, of chapter 5. And so it says, Christ calls God the couple. Well, excuse me. The unity is to be kept by Christians. It is our responsibility as Christians to maintain and nurture and cultivate the unity of the church. That's our responsibility. Mm -hmm. Along with witnessing and all that. But by our doing this, we're also witnessing to the world. When we decide to follow Christ, when we decide to do it His way, you're going to look so peculiar to the outside world. 
be looked upon differently because you respond differently. We're not supposed to respond to our circumstances. We're supposed to be above our circumstances and respond according to the Scripture. And most folks don't get that. You know, and it's hard. Trust me, it's hard. I know we get to the point where has, has any of you ever felt like you were overwhelmed with everything that's going on around us in this society? Sure you have. Guess what? I have to. But God is not overwhelmed. He knows everything that's going to happen, and he has a timeline that is ordained. We don't know that timeline. He does. We're getting closer to the end of that timeline, I'm sure, just because of the signs I've read about in the Bible and the things that are going on today. And so... The unity is to be kept by Christians, and that's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 and 7. Uh, Christ calls godly couples to love and respect. Not just love one another, you have to respect each other. You have to respect each other. And respect is something that's not just given, respect is earned. You have people that walk around, I demand respect. Well, you gotta earn it. You gotta earn it. And, uh, so a godly husband will love his wife. But a husband is to love his wife as his own body. What we've been talking about. A husband is to love his wife as his own body. A husband is to love his wife and not be bitter toward her. God. <laughs> we've all done that. I don't care. How much you love your wife, something has happened, and you have had a home. I'm telling you. You don't pay not lasting long, but you had it. It was there. You might not have verbalized it, but it was there. <coughs> Ladies, I know y'all have to. Yeah, so that's Colossians 319. A husband shows love to his wife by honoring her. By honoring her. A husband shows love by meeting his wife's needs. I, 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 that was a side that I know was coming. A husband love shows love by meeting his wife's needs. And, and and that's what we should do. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's exactly right. Well, that's true. Thank you. Thank you. So now I'm happy. I take that back. Respect to her husband. A wife shows respect to her husband 
when she has godly fear. First Peter 3, 1 through 6. A wife shows respect for her husband when she submits. I'm hearing old silence out there. is qualified by how 
gender relations among Christians are lived differently. They're lived differently. They're lived in the Lord, where hierarchical relationships make no real sense for those who form one body in Christ. And those verses are 1 Corinthians 11, 11 and 12, and 12, 12 to 27, and Romans 12, and Galatians 3 to 26 to 28. And so it's all there. It's all speaking to Christ as one body. It makes no sense to have a hierarchical, in the Christian sense, in what she calls it, in the Lord. It makes no sense for this hierarchy. And so what that does is that proves a lot prominent and dominated in other books. It sure does. Because they have power. And one of the most hierarchical of them all is probably one of the most holy of them. And, uh, and so that whole structure is not built. Based on what we're reading here and based on what God has for and what the wife and the husband are to be, that system is it, it, fault. Yeah, there's a lot of fault there because it's actually contradicting the Bible. But anyway, with that being said, I'm not going to chase that rabbit any farther. Uh, chapter 6, it says, Children and parents. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, Father, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We're going to do the first four verses and then we'll go from there. Alright. God describes the spirit-filled life for parents and for children. The spirit-led children will obey their parents. Uh, chapter... Uh, 6, verse 1 through 3. Uh, children are to obey their parents. 6, 1. Children are to obey their, to obey, to please the Lord. It's not just obeying your parents because they're telling you what to do. It pleases the Lord when you obey your parents. Uh, obedient children are well pleasing to the Lord. That's in Colossians 3, 20. Obedient children are, blessed, are a blessing to their parents. Proverbs 1, 8. Obedient children listen to their parents. Proverbs 23, 22. Children are to obey because it's right to obey. It's not just because the Lord tells them, but it's the right thing to do. Obedient children are following the example of Christ. When children are obedient, they're following the example of Christ. Luke 2. 51. Obedient children are looking to the Lord for reward. And we get a reward from them. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. What does the Bible tell us about us being the children of God and we obey Christ? What does he say? Doesn't he say our reward is great in heaven? That's not just that we're going to get to go to heaven. We're going to have a reward in heaven. So what the parents do by obeying Christ, the children are also stacking those things up. It said, lay your treasures up in heaven where they will not be defiled. 
And so that's where we're at. Uh, the children are to honor their parents and two, honoring the parents is one of the Ten Commandments. It's the first one with a promise. Honoring parents is the fifth commandment. And uh, you can see it in, 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 in uh, Exodus 20, 12. Honoring a father was demonstrated by Christ. Christ honored his father. He talked about honoring his father. And that's in John 8, 49. Honoring all people is pleasing to God. We can honor people. We don't have to hate anyone. We can honor all people. There's no sin in honoring all people. We can honor people without worshiping them. Worshiping becomes an issue. Honor somebody's not. That's just showing them respect. That's showing them uh, 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 dignity. I mean, they're made in the image of God. So, uh, honoring all people is pleasing to God. Honoring parents is the first commandment with a promise. Honoring parents also contains a promise. The Jews made this command of no effect by their actions. Remember, Christ told us that you make all these unnecessary rules. You know, they were giving excuses to the children so they could take it take advantage and receive the land of the parents. That's what was going on. It was corruption. There was nothing about the Jews at the time of Christ that wasn't corrupt. Everything was about money and power. What's going on in the United States today? Everything's about money and power. And those that get power want more of it. And those that have money want more of it. And so that's what's going on today. Uh, Children will reap the rewards of obedience. What it tells us in 6.3. Obedient children experience the blessing of the Lord. This is included in the Ten Commandments. It, well, uh, it is well for us when we obey the Lord. The obedient children experience long life. Our days will be prolonged as we honor our parents. Deuteronomy 5.16 tells us. Honoring God as obedient children looks forward to eternal grace. Let me back that up. Honoring God as obedient children looks forward to eternal grace. First Peter 1.14. When we obey God, we're his children. We're his sons and daughters. We're going to get eternal grace. Our children obeying their parents are practicing that obedience of Christ. And so children please God by obeying parents and honoring parents. God rewards children by blessing them. They're going to bless these children and gives them a long life. I have a great example. My mother, 32 when she passed away. When she spoke about God, she had a reverence. When she spoke about her mother and father, it was just a little less than God and Jesus. Would it be she loved her mother and her father. She honored them. Never heard her say a bad word or discouraging word about anybody. Spirit-led parents will not provoke their children to wrath. Fathers are to lead in helping their children grow spiritually. We're not to be coming at them, causing them to run and, and, and hide and also to turn from the Word of God. 
Fathers are to instruct their children. We're instructing. Fathers are to teach their children by example. There's one thing for a father to say, you're going to do this, and by God, you're going to do it now, and that's the way it's going to be. Don't question me. That's the authoritative role. But if you're going to put that down like that, then you need to walk that walk. Don't do it yourself. Don't expect them to do something you can't do. Just like if you're a, if you're a, if you're a supervisor or a leader of men, don't expect them to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Fathers are to train their children as they are growing. We're to be teaching them at all times. All this is coming from Deuteronomy and Proverbs. Fathers are to take time to answer children's questions. Fathers are to teach their children in all places. Fathers are to lead their family and serve in the Lord. Fathers are to teach their children to seek the Lord. The children need to see you seek God. And that's coming from 1 Chronicles. They need to see you on your knees asking God for guidance. They need to hear you pray. They need to hear you pray for your family. They need to hear you. They need to see you. Father or to teach the next generation. If we have a generation of children that's not afraid to follow the fault, or the lack thereof of fault, that's our responsibility. And when we stand before God, we're going to be held accountable for that. We're going to be held accountable for the children. Godly fathers urge their children to imitate them. Godly fathers teach their children how to walk worthily of God. Fathers are not to provoke their children to wrath. They're not to provoke or discourage their children. We're not to. We're supposed to give them hope. We're supposed to teach them. Fathers are to discipline and correct their children. That's lacking today. Fathers are to discipline, but not destroy their children. Fathers are to correct through loving them. And that statement they make, this is going to hurt me worse than you, I doubt. I doubt. But they may mean it. And they're coming to you and talk to you about it. They're going to tell you why you're getting Maybe they'll tell you why you're getting something they should. It should tell you why things are being taken away from you, what you did wrong, and how to correct it. If you just whoop them and take it, they don't know the thing. The boys are hard headed. Fathers are to bring their children up in training of the Lord. Godly training must begin with a godly mouth. You can't expect your children to be godly children if you're not a godly mouth. If you're bringing your children and drop them off and leave them, you're teaching them that it's okay for them to go, but not okay for you. You have to be the example. You have to be there. If you're taking your children and they're seeing you act one way Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then they see you holier than thou on Sunday, that's not a great example. That's not a godly example. And you're not training them God. You're training them to be of the world. Training is best done by using 
the Bible, the Word of God. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. What does it tell us? The Word of God is God-breathed for what? Reproof and rebuke and training. Word of God. They got a question? The little Bible. Here it is. And I heard this with, my, with, with teenagers in the youth group that I taught before. Does everything that goes on have an answer in the Bible? Yes, it does. Can you give me an answer without going to the Bible? Sure I can, but I'm going to quote scripture when I do it. Didn't crack the Bible. How do you know that? Because I have learned it. You need to learn it. It'll come in handy one day. Who knows? You know, you may go off in the army. You may become a POW. You may be segregated. The only thing that you have is a memory of the Bible that will keep you sane. That will be the only thing that will keep you from going ballistic and losing your mind. You had better learn this mind.
How do you put away childish things? The elders and the deacons and the leadership in the church. Now, I mean, it's just another uh, facet or, or viewpoint of the children and the fathers and mothers of the church. All those people in the church have those qualities that motherly love or fatherly advice or we each have that guidance for each other that that uh, keeps us on the straight and narrow. That actually narrows our walk so we don't have all this peripheral um, problems along the way. Peripheral chaos along the way. But Paul's right in the middle of this chaos when he's writing. He's right in prison. And he sees this chaos and he holds it together as a father of the church. He puts this down in a real, succinct, logical, impenetrable in the reasoning he has. And at risk. He's totally at risk here. And he's putting this down as if he isn't even in prison. And he's one of the fathers to the church. Um, that's what I'm to say. I mean, it's just, it's just so poignant here how he says, do not exasperate your children. Do not exasperate the Ephesians, maybe? He's not. But they hear it. And they're children. And they're, they're, the words are dripping off the page here for them. They're in chaos. This is a world of calamity and chaos for, for the Ephesians. They have, they have persecution from outside and heresy from inside. You know, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're leaving Paul. And they're not alone. This letter is very poignant. They're very, it's dripping off the page of these words. They're hanging on to every bit of this. They're not getting any of this from the outside, maybe not even from the inside where they're sitting. Some of them. They're getting it from the Father. Who's God himself. And they're getting from Paul acting as a father to the early church. Fathers are to bring their children up in the admonition of the Lord. Fathers are to give wisdom by discipline and rebuke. Proverbs 29 15. Fathers are to admire and warn in love. Ever had, I can remember my dad telling me, if I was you, I wouldn't do that. He didn't tell me not to do that. He said, if I was you, I wouldn't do that. It was a learning experience. And if I listened to him, I, I shouldn't have done it because I got hurt. And then the next comment from him was, how did it feel? I said, it hurt. He thought he was a little thing. You know, he thought that. But he was teaching me these lessons. He knew that me, being the person that I was and the personality I had, I was hard-headed. And then he said, I'm going to be hard-headed to try. <laughs> you know, and, and sit back and relax. But uh, we're not mocking him and warning him up. And he was doing that in love. He was letting me make my own mistakes. He was letting me learn from those mistakes. And he was waiting to see how I was going to correct the mistakes I made. And he taught me a lot. He gave me some freedom to be able to do that. He tried to teach me to be an independent thinker, think on my feet and the move. Uh, father born children to bring them to maturity. 
you know, when, when our kids, children are small and they want to go spend a night with so-and-so, and we tell them no. It's not that our children have been bad, and it's not that their children be bad. It could be the fact that the mother and the father have home aren't stable, and you don't know if one of them's going to go to fighting with the other. And you don't want your kid and your child to be caught in the crossfire. Those kids don't need to know that. They just need to know if you said no. And, and so you're looking after you're looking after their welfare. And so uh, my everything is is, is, is a is, a, is supposed to be in a negative connotation. Uh, fathers can admonish children through music. I have never in my life had my dad admonish me with a song. The only music he got was the rat-a-tat-tat of a belt and wind in, in the merry-go-round. You won't fucking do that. It was a poem. It wasn't a song. <laughs> Yeah, very funny. I had, I had my undivided attention. Spiritual fathers are to admonish spiritual children. Our children should become spiritual. We should be able to admonish them spiritually. We should be able to put every infant in life in a biblical sense. In a biblical sense. We don't, there's adults in here that can't even do it for their own selves, much less their children. I'm not, I'm not saying here, I'm not saying today. But I'm saying, there's, there's adults in our church that can't do it. And if they can't do it for themselves, how do they do it for their children? Fathers are to warn the unruly by going back up here. Fathers are to give wisdom by discipline and rebuke. All of this ties in together. All of this ties in together. you got to tell them you love them. And it's hard to convince them you love them when you wear them out. Uh, but sometimes that's what it takes. Take a little look here. Uh, we don't have a few minutes left. Uh, any questions? Any comments? Now is the time. Like I said, I'm going to speak now. It's a little who you speak. I'm going to get moving on it. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. More, I think.
slaves. So, what a chaos. I mean, certain slaves were above other slaves. Certain children were above other children. Certain masters were above other masters. So, Paul is throwing just right from the get-go here, children and parents, one level. Well, actually, two levels in a sense, but uh, the submissive nonetheless made equal. So we, that's a hard, it's, it's coming out just as Paul wants to say it, but treat the way, way you want to be treated. Yeah, surprise, you know, goes back to, goes back to, to the problem, you know. It surprises me that it's there. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't see Remember it the golden rule they called it when we were children? Do it today. They perverted today. You know, do unto them before they do unto you. But the golden rule, that's what we're talking about today. That's what Jesus is, you know, it's pleasing to come. If you want somebody to be nice to you, be nice to somebody else. Now, if you're going to run into the, to the exception of the rule, you're going to run into the people. They ain't going to be nice to nobody. And they need Christ more than anybody because they don't like yourself, much less anybody else. And we pray. We pray. And it's hard. It's hard when you, you're being a being humble and nice and having a great day going on and they get this person in and they want to want to try to wreck their day. You know, you just gotta push them off your cloud and keep going, you know, don't get off my cloud. <laughs> but uh pray for them as they fall. No, I mean, <laughs> there's a song there. Yeah, there is. Uh, but uh no more. Any questions? Any comments? Any thoughts? Any comments? Anything comes to anybody But we're free to talk here. Okay, what about uh, verse 3? You know, there's a lot of children that die. You yeah. know, so how would you, how would you put that in the context? That die? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of children that die young. Well, yeah. Um, so, uh, the, the context that I would put that in is that uh, whatever they were put on the earth to do, they had finished and got all home. And God loves them. God loves them. I mean, you know, he, he takes them home. Yeah, he, he tells them, you know, uh, it's yeah, better than you never been born and cause one of these little ones to come. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm going to step out on a limb here, a theological limb. And uh, when you go back to when the Israelites uh, built the, the uh, golden calf, and when the Israelites wouldn't cross the Jordan to take the promised land, God told them they were going to wander in the desert. They were going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. What did he say? He said, the sins of the Father from 21 and above will not see the promised land. Those that are 21 and under will not be held accountable for the sins of the Father. That's just, that was that, that thing. There are children in this world who will never reach the age of 21. They might wind up living to 80 years old, but they will never reach the age of 21. They don't have that capacity. They're covered by grace. They're covered by grace. There's an age of accountability that, that probably only God knows. Yeah. And that age of accountability, it was talking about uh, some 12 year olds joining the church, and they see it. And they see it clearly. Yeah. That the spiritual sense of who Christ is. And then 
there's some that don't change. 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 There's some that don't their children and they pass away. You know, their parents aren't aren't, aren't believers, uh, whatever, and, and the kid is 15, 16 years old and he passes away. If he's never been introduced to God, he's going to heaven. He's going to heaven. A child is going to heaven. God is not that cat. That's just like people say, well, if so-and-so committed suicide, they went to heaven. Because they didn't have a chance. They did not have a chance to repent. If the person that committed suicide was saved, they're going to heaven. They're gone to heaven. That's it. Because you can't lose your salvation. He tells you. He tells you what God is what God has put in my hand, no man can separate. When you accept Christ, you get put in the hand of Jesus. You get indwelled with the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of God living in you, and He's not going to send His Spirit to heaven. Can't do it. And so those that you know, those are old things that's been going around for a while. And you'll have people that will argue with you to the couch come home. They'll get blue in the face and get angry and call you a heretic and walk off. It's not biblical. You got people that tell you that you're not saved unless you speak your tongue. Well, I speak in a tongue. It's called in. And not very good. That's crap. Crap. The Holy Spirit gives the people the gifts that He wants them to have for the banquet of the kingdom. It ain't to impress 60 people that sit there while you fall out battle. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. But what I'm saying is. Somebody must understand it. Exactly. Somebody's got to interpret what they're saying. There's nobody there to interpret it. Then the spirit is occupying him probably in hope. I mean, you know, it, it, the Bible's clear on this. It's clear. It's clear. I mean, I, I prayed one time and I, I heard a boy in tongues that it was me. I quit because I was shocked. Only happened one time. Never done anything. But Allowed me to lay hands on people they get healed. Not Garrett. See, I prayed for them and his spirit went through me and healed them for his glory. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very shy about telling people this because, oh, they don't come on. They have on me and pray. No, 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 no. You know, it, it, God work. He's working through us. That's how we build our faith. That's how we trust. If you're not, he tells you to test the spirit. If you're not testing the spirit, how are you going to grow? How are you going to know? We have to test the spirit. The spirit lives in us. Then you go to do something and it ain't right. Trust me. Don't get right there. You get this. You get this uneasy feeling, queasy. That ain't a conscience. That's the Holy Ghost. When did you feel? Yeah. When did you? 
visit me in prison. Yeah. And then you visited someone else yeah. who was in prison. And when you fed someone, you yeah. gave a drink of cold water. And prison is not necessarily prison is not necessarily behind bars. If you take the time to, to visit with, with with somebody that's addicted, they're in prison. If you take the time to, to visit with somebody who's struggling with, with some mental issues, they're in prison. Most of the time it's a demonic support that's called. You know, when people are, are naked, it's not necessarily they're physically naked. They can be naked they can be naked physically, but not most of the time. They can be thirsty. That's when you share the word. You can also give them Bible, cocoa, or whatever, you know, but that's a physical thing. We're talking spiritual. We're in a battle with not flesh and blood, but principality. Spirits of the air. Those are the things that we're fighting. And we had to put on the armor of God, which we're going to get to. But we got to put it on. And we got to put it on daily. And understand that there are forces out there that are going to do everything they can to stop us from sharing the gospel. Is, there is forces out there that are stopping the Christians in the world today. Right? And when they raise up and they try to fight the cause of Christianity, they're killed. Absolutely. God is working in this church, I think. I mean, openly think. And you watch. We're fixing to, we're fixing to have some we're, yeah, we're fixing to have people clean a rock. They're going to do everything they can to discourage us. We're going to, we've made an effort Group has made an effort to to uh, to uh, outreach areas of this area here, and we're going to run into some roadblocks because it's going to put things in, and it's not going to be easy to do. And it may not be easy to do because of things we're going to run in outside of the church. But I'll guarantee you, somebody in the side of this building is going to object, not because they're not following Christ, but because they're being led. By a spirit that is not right. Is that answer to you? Yeah. It happens. It's always good. It happens. Yep. That's right. And it usually starts, well, we're, we're going we're going to do such and such and such and such. This is what we're wanting to do. Well, we ain't never done that before. Well, you ain't never done it before. How do you know it don't work? Just because you never done it before, does that mean we can't do it now? Oh, we tried that a long time ago and it didn't work. Well, why about if we do it this way? Did you try it? Oh, we tried that one time and it didn't work. So we didn't work that way. You know, those are things that come up. Or you'll hear, we can do that, yeah, but. <laughs> you know, the yeah, but kill us. <laughs> and so that's why it's important for us to have you there and understand it. That when somebody makes that yeah, but, they're not trying to destroy the church. They pray. And maybe not give them a different route than we are. We take all of that, we bust it together, and we move forward. You know, most folks in the church, when they disagree over something, it's trivial. But the other thing about it is, is neither one of them are trying to destroy the church. They just think that their idea is better than somebody else's. And it may very well be. But if you put an idea before the church, and you put it in a pack, great. You put an idea before the church and they don't pass, great. I mean, don't be emotionally invested in it. It's an idea because we can't unilaterally do certain things. We've got to put it before the church. There's some issues coming up. We're fixing to have a big boat. We're fixing to have a big boat the first of December. We're going to set the budget and the people that's going to serve next year. That's a big boat. 
People need to be praying about that. People need to be praying about that. We need to pray about our budget. We're blessed. We have people who tithe regularly. That's why we're able to do things that other churches aren't. Even when we were closed down for, for, for COVID, we sent a letter out and told them we still had a bill to pay, and the tithing didn't drop. That's God working and people being obedient to God. We have new people flocking in, coming into the building, and that's God leading them here. It's not us going out. I mean, some of them we were invited, but the majority of them, they come because God them here. And then once they get here, they keep coming back because guess what? They find out that we don't have a lot of invites and we're pretty good people. And, and we, we follow the word of God. We try to. Now, we don't always disagree. We get our feelings stopped on here and there. But what family does? Is there anybody that's member of a family that's never had their feelings hurt? By their mother, sister, mother, father, cousin, nephew, aunt, grandma? No. No. And if you stick around that family long enough, you're probably going to get your feelings hurt by all of them. At some point in time, whether it was on purpose or not. And then you can eat you got a choice. You can forgive him and move on or do like that when he gets mad. Hey, he said, I quit this thing. <laughs> he said, I quit this thing. He was, he was angry. <laughs> Packing my bag, I'm going. He said, I quit this thing. <laughs> he makes me laugh. But uh, he was serious. <laughs> uh, Bigfoot's up. Well, he <laughs> At that time of the night, Bigfoot, well, he wasn't afraid of Bigfoot. He was about door. Uh, he was, like I said, he was angry. I don't know how far he got before he realized Bigfoot lived outside and he'd been back, but that boy scared death Bigfoot. Uh, we ain't never seen him, but he knows he's out there. You know? <laughs> he's one of them, you know, it's like that, it's like that show we went to see in Charlotte, you know, uh, where the Fly, donkey, fly, and I believe. They believe. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, that, that's, that's what this is about. You know, those rules. Any questions, any comments? That's what the Lord says. Most of the words of God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have, Lord, to, to worship you. We thank you that we're able to, to pour our hearts out for you. Well, we love them that we're getting to the point of where we can put whatever we want out here and we love on it and we move forward and we don't have to worry about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so putting it in the paper or getting on the phone. Or Lord, we're 